Um, I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm just honored every time I get to stand in front of you guys and preach like this. You know, for me, I'm a big sports guy, and so for me, like, this is game day, right? You know what I mean? Like, I feel the tingle, you know what I mean? I thought I'd grab some youth group kids right before this, and we could just kind of start like a ooh-ah going, but I don't know, it's too rowdy, so. Um, but if somebody wants to pour Gatorade on me after this, you know, I'm, I'm open to it, so. But today we're going to be, if you want to have your Bibles, we're going to be doing uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, if you know, I've preached here before, and if you know, I kind of do it a little bit differently than Dave, not that that's a problem, but um, we just have different styles, and I kind of go through the message, and so I like to read, and you know, the Word of God is uh, powerful and active, so uh, if you will join me in reading the uh, messages together. Um, we're going to talk about big picture ministry today, uh, big picture ministry. Too much uh, in this life, and especially I think the past year with COVID and everything else, we have been caught up in details, and I would never preach this without first applying this um, to myself, because that's what happens. And I, I thought I'd start off with a good quote by Bear Grylls, a little hero of mine. I've seen, his drink, seen him uh, drink his urine way too many times. Always keep the big picture in mind. You are greatly loved by Jesus, and your job is to love him and others in return. The rest is detail. And that's what we're going to be approaching today. So once again, if you open to 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 19, and then we're just going to kind of address things as we work through it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, you know that I have sent you to Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider, see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Verse 11, But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. And wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farbar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father is a great, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but is in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. 
But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Is In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When the master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, I, buy my, I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. When we address this today, I want to just kind of start off with a disclaimer. That first off, the Bible emphasizes different parts at different times, right? And just like in any context in our lives, you may walk in certain times or you may run. When I take my uh, wife out on a walk, right, I am just walking. I'm not running, right, because it doesn't call for that, right? Whereas if I have some random murderer chasing me, I am running, right? And so there isn't a contradiction. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Well, let me be very clear about that. But it does emphasize certain parts. There's plenty of times where the Bible tells you, hey, run from sin. Don't deal with it. Get out of there, right? But then there's also parts where it's like you need to fight this sin. You need to destroy it, right? One example also is in the Psalms. We have a psalmist that says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. So we have the psalmist writing about how his relationship with God is on fire. I'm talking to him. He's talking to me. This is awesome. A couple chapters later, we have another verse that he says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I have no rest. So we have here, the psalmist is describing a time where he's calling to God and nothing's coming back. So again, these are not contradicting verses. They are just emphasis on different things. A more theological argument, if you will, is from you have this, and I, don't get caught up on these words, but you have Calvinist and Arminianism, right? Both of them kind of believe different things and how it all works out. And again, this is not the time. Go to Bible college if you want to learn about those things, right? But what happens in these verses is basically Calvinists are all about like, hey, you did nothing, God did everything. And Arminians are like, well, we did something, right? And that's how they like to say. So they throw out verses like this, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, it's explaining to you, hey, you have to do something, right? You heard the voice, and now you're opening the door. Where the Calvinists stand, they're like, no, 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 no. If you got to look at a verse, you want to look at the verse, John 15.16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Right? And so it's just this classic example of the Bible emphasizes different things at different times. And I just, today we're going to look at big picture ministry. Right? I'm sure I could preach a separate sermon on where the details matter. But today I'm talking to all you guys and all everybody out there that just loves the big picture, like myself, when I say, hey, I'm throwing a party. And then I do nothing to set that party up and my wife handles all the details. Right? Okay? That is me in a nutshell. And like the ones that are laughing are like, oh my gosh, that's me too. So we're going to address that today. So as we look into big picture ministry, I want to start off by giving you a context here. We don't have a lot of time to get into it, but uh, verse 1, Naaman, we're talking about Naaman, commander of the army of King Assyria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So you have this man that is in charge. He's like vice president of Syria. And catch that where it says, by the Lord, he was given victory. Now, throughout the Bible, we have moments where Israelites were given victory by the Lord. In fact, many times God says, I'm not going to give you victory, but you can go to battle anyways, and nothing happens. Like, the Israelites are destroyed. Here, you got to remember, though, this is a bad guy, okay? This is like the beginning of that Marvel movie, right, where Thanos wins at the end. Right? If you haven't seen it yet, sorry, spoiler alert. 
all right? So listen, but that's the kind of thing. Israelites, if God gives victory to the Israelites, that makes sense to us because they're the good guys. But yet here we have it directly in the Bible where God says Naaman was powerful because he ran an evil nation, and every time he went to battle, the Lord gave him victory. The Lord, a God that he did not worship, gave him victory. Or if he did worship him, it was just another God because Syria was full about like, hey, we, lots of gods, bring them all in. So we have that context where this man was a high man, but he did not worship God, but he was given victory. And so we have this thing where bad things can happen because of big picture ministry. In one of these battles, now Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. This is a huge point to a lot of big picture ministry. Because I have no idea where this girl came from. I don't, there's not a lot of details. But you realize that none of this happens without her. She's not even named. She's a servant girl. She's taking from her home, put into servanthood, slavery. You know, I don't know. Like, all of us know what slavery can be like, servanthood can be like. He's put in with Naaman's wife, but she knows and she keeps her faith. She does not let the land infect her. And she says, you know what? My master has leprosy, which many times in the Bible, leprosy is used as a a figure of sin because it's contagious, it gets all over, it's hard to get rid of, and we'll come back to that later. But he says, if anybody can help this man, my master, she must have cared for him, but at the same time, back then, if you didn't care for your master, you got your head sliced off, so maybe she's faking it, right? But she is so worked up because she's like, man, if only my master was in Israel because we could have done great things. Because I know the God of Israel could have healed this, right? Remember that Elijah, just a couple, you know, however many years before this, has his big moment where, you know, they're all worshiping Baal, and they're like, oh, scream louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom, right? And then he calls fire from heaven that totally just annihilates everybody, right? So the Israelites knew. This girl knew, and he was, she was just so freaked out. She's like, man, if only you were in Israel, then it would have changed everything. So, of course, the context goes on. And I would argue that big picture ministry, bad things happen. Now, I don't have time to argue why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people that whole time. But understand that bad things in your life usually come from your own consequence of sin. Like, it's just going to be, you're like, why is my marriage falling? Well, you're lying to your wife every day. What do you want me to explain to you? Right? So you have bad things happening. Or you have a kind of a situation like Job where God is actually bringing you testing right? And how you handle those and how you approach those can be very, like, read your Bibles and you'll find out how those are very different things and how to deal with each one of those. Bad things happen for big picture ministry. So don't always be afraid when bad things happen. Because God, I hope you realize that, and we'll talk about this later again, but God is a redeemer, a great redeemer. And just like English, English ruins every word in the English language, right? Because like love and everything else, it's just like dumbed down. You know, when do we use redeem? We use that word when we go, oh, like, oh, bad situation. Oh, is there anything we can do to redeem it? So can we make bad okay? That's not what God does. He takes bad and makes it beyond all that you can think, ask, or imagine. That's what God does. He is the great redeemer. He takes certain situations, any situation that you have, and he's like, you think nothing can be good about this, Let me bring it to a whole level beyond what you can ask or think. That's what God does as a great redeemer. And so as we move forward here, we have big picture um, ministry. But big picture ministry is often boring. And I put that in quotation marks because lots of times we want 
like, you know, some guy comes in with a broken leg and they want me to heal it, right? Or we want some type of like, again, we want the Elijah kind of a scenario where we have fire raining down from heaven. Because we have this verse here that um, Naaman says, he said, Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that you were going to bring fire from heaven. What did he say exactly? He would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord God, his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper, right? Because guess what catches the news? Guess what catches CNN? Guess what catches Fox News, right? It's all this big news stuff. But you know what Christianity is? Christianity is neighbor to neighbor. It's Pastor Dave telling me that he's, snow, he's late to lunch for me because he's snowblowing his neighbor's driveway. That's not making CNN. That's not making Fox News, but that is big picture ministry. It's a pastor being involved in the lives of the community. It's a pastor being involved in the lives of his church. I have been blessed by big picture ministry. And I have to thank every single one of you guys sitting here for that. Um, as you might have known, um, my wife and I welcomed our first little girl um, uh, four months ago. And since that time, I ran through with meals and gifts and things we received. And I cut out, like, my family, and I just did people from this church. And I counted meals at, like, five bucks or something, which they probably more, were more expensive, all the ingredients and stuff, but I just wanted to be conservative. I came up, I have received, our family has received over $6,000 in gifts and meals for that baby and our family in, in general. That's you guys. That's big-picture ministry. Is it going to make Fox News? No, but it makes my news because it helps keep my family together. As I'm off in school and my wife is all by herself, like, that is so helpful, and that's you guys. That's big-picture ministry. But that's going to be kind of seen as boring, right, making a meal. Next week, we got VBS, right? You think to yourself, oh, well, like, you know, am I even going to have an influence on this kid? Maybe this is going to be boring ministry. Boring ministry is every day. That's the grind. If you're not involved in boring ministry, please check your heart and get involved. As we continue forward, big picture ministry is often countercultural. And we, once again, we have Naaman's idea of what he wants. He wants this big show. And then he says, why did I even travel all this way? He traveled over 100 miles to get there. And then Elijah says to him, hey, you got to travel another 30 miles. And remember, this isn't in some Ferrari, right? This is in, you know, horse and buggy or whatever they're using back then. Right? So he's like, hey, travel another 30 miles. Go back to the Jordan. The Jordan River is gross. Read about it in any, you know, culture or whatever, like study guide Bible. It's absolutely disgusting. And so he says to himself, why would I come all the way here to bathe in the Jordan when I could have stayed back home and bathed in all the rivers that were good? What's the point of that? And that's exactly what God does. God does, you know, he could have, he could have sent him to a clean river and had him healed of leprosy. Of course God could have done that. But he wants to make sure that you get the idea that he is countercultural. The messages we give, the message of Christ, the message of the cross is very countercultural. You can think about, uh, we were talking about Gatorade right, just a, minute, a couple minutes ago. Gatorade is always, it's got its passion, right? Is it in you? Every Under Armour commercial, every Nike commercial, it's always, is it in you? You need to train harder. You can do this, right? But when I'm, you know, I'm your youth ministry guy. And guess what message I give to your youth group kids every day? I'm usually like, hey, it isn't in you. It's all in Jesus. And that is a counterculture message. Take 10 seconds of your day and live for Christ for just a little bit, and you should realize how counterculture it is. We're telling teenagers and stuff to obey things that all their friends are not doing and to do things that all their friends are not doing. It's a very hard kind of perspective. 
And I love what Johnny said this morning. He said, hey, the best days of America are coming, but it's going to take some work. Absolutely. Because this message is countercultural, and I'll tell you right now that it is very difficult to convince a lot of kids to live like nobody else is. It's a very countercultural message. A countercultural message is something of making time for church, right? I got to give a shout out, uh, Jason Gauss, super good guy. He's helped me in youth group all the time. We took the youth group paintballing a couple weeks ago, right? Absolutely fantastic because it was so, he was telling me all how he was busy all throughout the summer. And I was like, oh, okay, like we'll kind of figure something out. And then he's like, you know what? Give me a second. I gave him three days. He calls back. He's got the whole paintball thing scheduled. He's like, yeah, I moved some things around and I did this. That's countercultural ministry because he was like, let's just focus on the big picture. Let's stay up here in the big picture. Let's not worry about the details, what I got to move around. This, like, let's just do it. We'll get it figured out later. And many of us think that, but we're so scared to do those kind of things. I think about it, you know, if, like, if you know my financial situation, there's no way I should have another baby, okay? But think about it. If I was just walking down the streets of Romulus, and there was like a baby just laying on the floor, or, you know, in China where they do the baby boxes where moms drop off people, do you think, I don't care what my financial situation is. I'm grabbing that sucker, and we're bringing it home. You know, we'll figure out. We'll give it up for adoption, or we'll find another family, or we'll keep it. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but big picture says it's coming home with me. I'm not worried about the rest of that stuff. Because this kind of message, I could I not wash in them and be clean? He wanted to do what the culture wanted him to do. Everybody around him said, there are cleaner rivers back home. Why am I here? You're your uh, teenagers, even adults, you know you're busy. The last thing you knew, need is another thing to do on a Sunday morning. But yet, Christ, like, hopefully you say to yourself, this is a message that I need. I need church. I need community. And that's counterculture than, every, than everybody's, everybody else's life. Big ministry is countercultural. Because big picture ministry, it's all about God bringing people to him. That's the goal. And that's why we have this whole scenario with Naaman and why it happens all together. He says, then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes in the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm. You have this guy that 30 seconds ago, or well, probably a while ago because he had to bathe seven times first right? He's freaking out because he's saying, oh, you, I can be cured of my leprosy, but I'm way too lazy and caught up in the details that I don't want to bathe in a nasty river seven times. Sounds like a middle school boy to me. He doesn't want to bathe, right? <laughs> Sam's out there like, yeah. I understand, Sam. I was the same way. But you have big picture ministry. God is just worried about bringing Naaman to him. But what does he have to work through? Just like all of us, right? There's pride. There's anger. There's all these things. But God doesn't care, right? It's not, he doesn't say in here, you know, oh, bathe yourself and then work on your anger and then work on your pride and then call me later. Here's my number. He's like, no, I'm big picture ministry is you, your heart, Naaman. That is what I'm looking for. Obviously through the prophet Elisha, but he's saying, I need Naaman's heart. The rest of it won't matter. I need his heart. We'll worry about the anger. We'll worry about the pride later. And you have this transformation. And he says, you know, oh, do I have Naaman's heart? Is it there? Let me see. And Naaman has this total transformation. He comes back. He says, hey, I need earth. I need earth. I'm going to bring it back to my house. 
right? Which very much in biblical times, the land determined what God you worship. And so he said to himself, if I'm going to worship this God, I'm going to bring Israelite dirt back into my house. And you could quickly give a side little message there like, hey, do you have the dirt of the Lord in your house? Is that the kind of altar you have in your house? Is it, a, is it the land of Jehovah God in your house? I sure hope it is. If it's not, fix it. And then he has this crazy, I hope you realize how crazy this is. He says, I, my master worships in a pagan temple, and when he bows down, I have to bow down with him. Everywhere in the Bible, everywhere in the Bible, when you worship pagan gods, you are wiped out by God. You do not, there is like no other God before me. You get wiped out. But instead, Elisha doesn't even lecture him. He just says, go in peace. Why? Because he's got his heart. The details don't matter. The big picture, the big picture is accomplished. I have Naaman's heart. We have no idea if he goes back and maybe, you know, he talks to his master and he gets saved, all that stuff. That's just assuming, but it doesn't matter. He's got the big picture accomplished. He got Naaman's heart, go in peace. God wants your heart and the details don't matter. And when he says to him, go in peace, it's just not getting caught up in things. And I mean, this year especially, guys, like, and I would never preach this without preaching to myself. COVID-19, pick, you know, pick your other political drama, pick your any type of disaster, and we all get caught up in it. I know of churches, of people that the mask policy was too strict or the mask policy was too soon, so they back out of ministry. Like, guys, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. If you feel conviction, that's a totally biblical thing. That's good. Come talk to me about it later. But really, you don't like what the mask policy is, and so you're going to drop out of youth group or you're going to drop out of something like that? You know, when we think about the big picture ministry, you know what's something that really drives me nuts? I don't think there's enough discipleship of young women in churches. You know why? Because every church I've ever gone to, and this isn't like here, like I go to, like, I grew up in church. I've been to a bunch of churches. But you know what I notice? Every two weeks, every two weeks there's a men's breakfast. Every two weeks. But yet, every six months, maybe, there's an afternoon tea for the ladies. If you are under the age of 20 and you are a woman sitting here today, would you go to afternoon tea? Let's be honest, right? But why is there, and this is where I call out the men, because I think most of the time the ladies aren't discipling the women because the men are at work and the ladies have to stay home with the kids. And so I call out the men and I say, why don't you go home and tell your wife, hey, I got the kids, go find a young woman to disciple. I took a youth group kid out to lunch the other day. I took him to Subway, which I don't even like. Okay, and it was like the best thing that's ever done. Why not you guys? I know you're, some of you guys are real busy on a Sunday afternoon. You can't help me in youth group. That's fine. I'm not telling you to, but you're telling me once out of the month you can't find a youth group kid and take them out to Wendy's? Why not? That's big picture ministry, but also what is it? It's probably boring. And I'm not here to make you guilty. I'm not here to like drive you to do things. I'm just trying to bring you practical examples. Because with Naaman, it was all about the heart. And that's all what it is about. You got all these kind of things that are happening in life. But when you surrender to the cross, 
when you surrender everything to the cross, whether you've been a Christian forever or you've never been a Christian in your life and you're thinking about it, when you surrender to the cross, the details don't matter. God takes care of it. Whatever kind of issues you have, whatever you wake up in the morning, you see yourself in the mirror and you have some issue, doesn't matter. God's gonna take care of it. Honestly, for a better example of this, I brought a mirror with me and I thought to myself, why don't you just fill this in? Wake up. What do you fill it in with? Maybe you got like a little bit of jealousy on there, you know? Maybe your uh, marriage isn't going well. You have like past drama. You got cheating going on, lying going on. Add it. Add all this stuff. And you say, how can I do anything? How can I be involved? Because I, I got all this crap going on. Like, what do you expect? Like, when I look at myself, I see these things. I see the sin in my life. And you're like, how do I deal with this? Or maybe you're just like Naaman. Does anybody else know someone here that's prideful? Does anybody know anybody here that's angry? Huh? Guess what? A prideful, angry child sounds a lot like Will Krems in high school. Prideful, angry, running around, doing things. He was just a stupid punk kid. Sounds a lot like me. Sounds a lot like Naaman. And God said, yeah, it doesn't matter. I need that heart first. Will Krems, I'm going to put a lot of people in your life to influence you in the name of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? Those sins that you don't have control over, I took care of that too. By sending my only son, the son I love, he hung up on the cross. So all this stuff right here, whether it's lying, anger, pride, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. None of it matters because he took it on the cross. He destroyed it. Jesus Christ paid for your sins and it doesn't matter. None of it. Every single sin that you think is stopping you from going to church doesn't matter. Nothing. Because he paid for it. And if that wasn't enough, three days later, he overpowered death and he rose again from the grave. Have fun at your barbecues absolutely today. But if you forget this, if you forget this and don't surrender yourself to the cross every single day, the gospel message is not just, yeah, you evangelize with it, but it, me, Christian, whatever, 20-some years, I need it today. I need it every morning. I'm going to have the worship team come up, just sing one more song. I wanted to share this song with you guys because it's called Another in the Fire, and there's text here, there's lyrics here, and I just wanted to read it to you guys. It says, there was another in the waters, holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. Remember that as we go about our day. Okay, we have a great holiday. Enjoy it. Relax. But what about this week? Maybe find some time. And of course, I'm the youth ministry guy, right? So I'm going to tell you, pick up a youth group kid and take them to Wendy's or something. But if you hate kids, that's fine. Go find something else to do right? And that sin that's in your life, those things that you think is stopping you, surrender to the cross. God took care of it. They're going to worship and just enjoy this time. Have a moment of reflection, almost like a communion. And just have a moment of reflection as they sing to you guys today. I'll be back up.
Joy come every battle, cause I 
know that's where you'll be. I'll count the joy come every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. I'll count the joy from every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. starts today and whether whatever roles you got maybe your father husband wife mother those kind of things if you feel like you have not addressed something before you can do anything big picture got to go to the cross surrender yourself to him if your marriage is falling apart and you don't like where it is if you feel like you don't have a good relationship with your kids you got to surrender the cross. And again, it's not like, you know, oh, you're saved now or you're every day. Every day, I need that. I need that. Before I can preach up here and tell you anything that the Lord has to say, I need the cross. And with that in mind, I'm just going to invite you, like, you know, again, I'm not about emotional experience. You know, if you got somewhere to be, go. That's not a problem. I'm going to dismiss you guys. But, like, I'm just going to sit right here by the cross and, like, you need prayer for anything, or I don't know, you just want to talk to me, or I don't know, maybe you want to invite me to your barbecue. Please, come see me, and we can just have a quick chat. That's all it's all about. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for being a part of Center Community Church. You're dismissed.